truly is an honor to be here. Um, Pastor AJ, Pastor Tellis are two of my closest friends. Uh, Bishop Brett, Pastor Jim are spiritual fathers to my lovely bride, Elise, and, and myself. And just looking around this room, seeing so many familiar faces, this is family. And it does feel like coming home. So thank you all for praying. In fact, two years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to Southeast D.C. to start Grace Covenant Church Capitol Hill with 40 people whom you sent with us to establish a work uh, nine blocks from the U.S. Capitol. And we started meeting in the fall of 2021, doing outreaches, meeting once a month. And that team of 40 a year and a half later uh, has grown to 150 coming on Sunday mornings. Can we give God praise for that? And one of those uh, folks is a woman, a single mom, who uh, my wife met at a playground with, with her kids, with our kids, and just built a friendship with her, prayed for her, ministered to her in that moment, and uh, just invited her to church, invited her to do life. And she started coming to our church, you know, at first kind of infrequently, then more frequently. And here, a couple Sundays ago, she gave her life to Jesus. Come on, let's thank God for that. You know, I just want to encourage you when you um, hear about these Win the City offerings and you participate in that and you hear about planting churches in eight wards, it's not about buildings, it's not about brick and mortar, it's about people like that woman whose lives are being changed, who are, we're seeing the gospel of Jesus impacting all corners of our city, people from senators to the homeless encountering the grace and the presence of God. And how many of you know our city needs more Jesus followers? Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. And in, in spite of, or I would, I would say in addition to some of the amazing testimonies and ways that God has built our faith, uh, I have a confession this morning, and that is the Christian life feels so difficult, doesn't it at times? Like, can we just be honest here for a moment? Even in the midst of those amazing testimonies, I'm sure if you sat Pastor Mike down and told him, well, tell us some of the lowlights, he could share some of those lowlights, right? I mean, I've been going to church since I was five years old, every Sunday, that was a part of our family. I've heard so many sermons and so many worship songs. And yet, when I look at my own life, I'm not as effective in evangelism and sharing my faith as I want to be. I still get irritable with my beautiful, perfect kids. <laughs> there are times that I, God forbid, get in arguments with my wife. There are moments that I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to be devoted to him, but I get distracted by YouTube or social media. And I go, how did I get to this kitty cat YouTube video? <laughs> Christian life can be difficult. Following Jesus can be hard. And maybe for some of you today, you know, you're, you're leading a small group, you're serving in various ministries, you come to church every Sunday, and yet if you look at your own life, there are sin patterns that you still haven't gotten over, destructive mindsets that you still haven't broken free from. And you feel like, I should be a better representation of Jesus by now. 
For some of you, maybe just starting your journey with Jesus, you had that encounter with him, you surrendered your life to him, and now you're wondering, like, where do I get new friends? Like, what music do I listen to? What do I do on weekends? This is so crazy. Or maybe you're on the outside looking in, you're not following Jesus, but you're kind of curious, and you're looking at folks here raising their hands and living for Jesus, and you go, that, that's interesting, that's that's intriguing, but this looks really difficult. I don't know if I want to give up my life. I don't know if I want to give up my way of doing things. What would Jesus say to us this morning as we follow him, as we experience some of the difficulty of obeying him and walking with him in the midst of a world where we face trials? If you stand with me, we're going to read John chapter 14. 15 through 17, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You may be seated. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate as the church the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And to kick off, uh, or to really preview that Sunday, we're kicking off a series on the Holy Spirit entitled Ghosted. Now, if you're not familiar with that term ghosted, just Maybe ask the person 30 and under next to you, right, or your teenager. We'll get into that here in a, in a second. But the title of my message today is Gone But Not Ghosted. Gone But Not Ghosted. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking in this intimate setting with his disciples. These are his last words before his arrest, his crucifixion. He's just washed the disciples' feet and provided them just an ultimate example of what humility and what serving others looks like. And he says, go and you do the same thing. Love and serve people. He doesn't have much time. He recognizes that uh, his hour is soon approaching. And so he, he speaks very plainly to the disciples. He says, hey, one of you is going to betray me, meaning Judas. He looks at Peter. He says, you're going to deny me three times. It's getting dark. And up until this point, I mean, things have been pretty great for the disciples. In fact, John, in his gospel, arranges the first half of his book recording these seven signs or the miracle displays of Jesus' power that the disciples got to witness firsthand, see right in front of their eyes. Jesus was turning water into wine. He was feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He was healing a man born from blind, who was born blind from birth. Even raised the man from the dead, Lazarus, after four days. But now, he's saying some really ominous things, some alarming things to these group of men who had left everything to follow him. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm leaving here. And you got to feel for these poor disciples. I mean, they didn't have any kind of advanced theological degree. They weren't trained in a rabbinical school. All they had was three intensive years in internship with Jesus. And every time they turn, you, you look in the gospels, they're failing their internship. 
Like F. Not even close. They're distracted with competitions of who's the greatest. They're hurried and anxious, missing moments that Jesus is trying to teach things or impart things to them. They're afraid despite the Savior of the world being right within arm's length. And now he's saying he's leaving. I mean, can you imagine? This is the definition of being ghosted. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, let me quote from the most credible source I know, most credible dictionary, Marcus, urbandictionary.com. Ghosted is when someone who you've been in contact with suddenly stops responding and disappear as if they've never existed like a ghost. And if following Jesus, while he was present, while they could feel him, talk to him, see him, if that wasn't hard enough, while he was with them, now he says, I'm going, and he doesn't even let them off the hook. He says, if you love me, when I leave, you'll keep my commandments. And I recognize today that we're all in different places when it comes to Jesus, I mean, some of you, maybe you've been following Jesus for years. You're the small group leaders, the lead well graduates, serving in multiple ministries. And when the pastors tell you to fast, you actually fast. You come to Good Friday and you come to Easter. And, And by all the things that you're doing, it's like, okay, you and Jesus are in a good place. Maybe others of you, you know... Okay, you're not at that level, but come on. I mean, you got a Bible, you're praying every once in a while, you're coming to church every once in a while, right? You're associated with Jesus. You call this church. Jesus is your God. Maybe you're here, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're curious. Doesn't that count for something, right? Like you're, you're leaning into this conversation. Maybe you got dragged to church this morning by a girlfriend who wants you to give their life to Jesus so she can date you, okay? <laughs> Whatever the case may be, you're here. But what defines a true relationship according to Jesus is the same standard that defines all of our relationships, which is love. It's not about activity. It's not about association. Curiosity is a great first step, but it's not the ultimate goal. Jesus wants all of us. He wants our affection. He wants your devotion, your love. He wants relationship. And how is love shown? How is relationship proven? It's demonstrated. And in the case of Jesus, it's demonstrated by doing what he says, by obeying him. Now, my wife of nine years, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary here in September. If I was to tell her, thank you, yes, she's beautiful, better than I deserve. But if I was to tell her, hey, you know, we've done this for nine years. Like, what do you say we take this celebration off? (laughs) Or, you know, I told you I loved you when we were dating. Isn't that good enough? How many of you know that doesn't fly? Why? Because love needs to be demonstrated. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. These men... They loved God. They'd seen, they'd seen Jesus do the miraculous. They had devoted their life to following him. It wasn't an issue of whether they loved him, but what seemed insurmountable to them, what seemed impossible even to them, was keeping his commandments, loving others to the level that he loved them when he was going to be leaving them. They had a hard enough time when he was there. 
And I gotta believe that this morning that's true for many of us. I mean, it's easy to follow Jesus when this worship team is rocking, right? I mean, you're in the zone, your hands are lifting up, you're hitting octaves that you didn't even know you had, right? The Spirit of God is here. Pastor AJ exhorting us, Bishop Brett preaching the word, Pastor Corey encouraging us to evangelize. We're ready to do amazing things for Jesus. And then we step out Monday through Saturday, and it's like there's a power disconnect. How do we bring Jesus with us wherever we go? How can you hear him at your job when your boss is yelling at you? When your kids are complaining for the hundredth time in one day? When you're getting in that argument with the spouse yet again? When you're alone on a Friday night as a Christian who's single and wondering, how do I do this thing? When it's late at night and you go back into that sin that you promised would be the last time, the last time. How do you do this, Jesus? How do you follow his commandments? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper. Now that word, paraclete, Parakletos. It's a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. And there's not really a good English one-for-one comparison. It's why if you look in your Bible, maybe some of your Bibles say uh, comforter or counselor or helper or advocate. But the idea here is that a paraclete is one who walks alongside of another to help. Like a guide. And John... He takes much of the the gospel of John to describe how Jesus was the OG paraclete. He was the original paraclete. He was helping the disciples at every turn. Right there in the prologue of John, John chapter 1, verse 4, John says, in him was life. And the life was the life, I'm sorry, the life was the light of men. Jesus gives Life. How many of you have experienced the life that Jesus gives? He gives not just air in your lungs like we talked about, but he gives abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. That kind of life where you're filled with the joy of the Lord even in tough times. Where if you were to write down everything, every blessing that God has done for you, you run out of pages when you're rooted in healthy relationships because Jesus has come not for you just to exist, but for you to experience abundant life. But it's not just abundant life, it's resurrecting life. It's Jesus looking at Martha after her brother Lazarus has died and declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus takes our dead flesh, our minds and our hearts that are dead to his spirit, and by his spirit, he raises us up. He gives us new life. He resurrects dead things. Pastor Tiffany talked about that last Sunday. Abundant, resurrecting, eternal life. It's not just life here on this earth, but Jesus told his disciples I go to prepare a place for you. I will be with you forever. 
God has a place reserved for us, those who are following Jesus Christ. We're going to spend eternity with him. It's abundant, resurrecting, eternal life. And John doesn't stop there. He talks about Jesus being the embodiment of truth and grace, of being a savior, of being a healer, who had the gift of prophecy. I mean, Jesus helped these disciples at every turn. But now he's saying, I'm going away, and that help, me being here in the flesh, won't be here anymore. But my father is going to give you another helper like me who's going to give you my life, who's going to give you my grace and truth, who's going to provide light in your darkness, who's going to empower you. Family, I recognize that for many of us, like if we could have Jesus right there with us in the flesh, wouldn't it be so much easier to follow him? Like if we could go back to his time and we could see him feed the 5,000, if we could see those miracles of him walking on water, wouldn't it be so much better? But Jesus says, I'm sending you another helper to be with you forever. God has not ghosted you. He's not abandoned you. He's given you the spirit of truth. Now, when I was in college over the summer breaks, I worked at a place called City Kids. It was a Christian sports camp in rural Pennsylvania in which kids from kind of urban areas, Washington, D.C., Richmond, Philadelphia, New York, would come for a week and they would play sports and we would teach the Bible. They had a blast. And a lot of these kids growing up in, in cities had never been hiking and things like that. So they would do a, an adventure, an outdoor adventure the first day. We'd go hiking four miles. A lot of these kids, you know, they didn't have the right clothes. They're afraid of the spiders, right? They never, you know, they got branches that are like tackling them, right? Because they've never been in this environment before. And they're complaining and, they're, and they got blisters on their heels. But there was a camp director. He had an amazing name. I mean, you knew this guy's a superhero by his name alone. Timotheus Pope. I mean, just sounds like a superhero. 6'2", African-American guy, jacked, three-sport athlete, but he was from rural Virginia, great outdoorsman. And so the kids could see something of them in him, but this guy meant he could, he made like branches, logs look like twigs, and he would just snap them. And he'd be at the front of the group. And every week, as we went on this the first day, I thought, there's no way this group's going to make it. There's no way. These kids hate this. They're complaining. He'd be at the front of the group. Hey, 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 watch out over there. Hey, we're halfway here. Okay, wait, that's poison ivy. Don't touch that. Hey, uh, this is a spider. You can take your foot and just go like that. You'll be good. I mean, he's <laughs> guiding them, and he's speaking the truth in the front. Then he goes to the back, to the stragglers. Then he gets in the middle. He's guiding them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, the spirit of truth. Jesus explains, John, a little bit later in John chapter 14, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And then later on in John 16, I want you to notice how vocal the Holy Spirit is. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. The helper, the guide, the spirit of truth, he speaks. 
He's teaching us when we read the Bible. He's reminding us of what Jesus has said. He's guiding us toward the path of Jesus. He's declaring Jesus' promises over us. This is what the helper, the Holy Spirit, wants to do when, the, when Jesus is not there for the disciples. And for you and me, when we're not in this place, when we don't have our amazing leaders leading us in worship, what do we do when we're around the kitchen table at a holiday with unbelieving family and we want to testify to who Jesus is but we don't have the words the spirit wants to speak what do we do when you walk into your house after a long day of work you don't have the energy anymore to be a good father or a good wife or a good husband whatever the case may be the Holy Spirit wants to empower you What do you do when you're trying to discern the next steps in your life? You're making a major life decision. The Holy Spirit wants to speak and guide you. When there's a trial that seems to crush you, the Holy Spirit wants to declare, you're going to overcome this. See, some of us, we feel like it's not an issue of not knowing what to do. We know what what we're supposed to do. We know what the Spirit of God is saying, but it's like this is going to be hard. We need a helper. We need the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus. This Christian life was not meant for you to do on your own strength. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the hardest part is that while we're having this internal battle in our flesh, we're raging against you know, our own thoughts and our own selfishness and what the Spirit of God might be saying, we look around at friends, at family who don't know Jesus and they're not struggling at all. They're not having this internal battle at all, right? They are perfectly content to do whatever they want. And it's like, I wish I could live their life. And Jesus explains it. He says, whom the world or unbelievers cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Stop looking to the world for advice on how you should live. Stop looking at the example of people who don't see or receive the Spirit's work because they don't have him. Those people who aren't going to tell you to stick it out in a tough marriage who aren't going to tell you to humble yourself and stay in a job where you might be mistreated so that you can testify to the glory of God when he brings you to the other side. They're not going to tell you to persevere. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit. But you have the Spirit. Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling inside of you. Now, I know we have some very smart people here, folks who've taken a lot of standardized tests, the LSATs, the MCATs, right, the GREs. You got normal people like me who've taken the SATs, <laughs> right? First time I took the SAT, I did terribly. And I'm a pretty smart guy. I, I like to consider myself a pretty smart guy, you know? But I didn't know anything about the test. I didn't know that when you take the SATs that the questions get progressively harder. So it doesn't make sense to go to the last question and spend 30 minutes on it because then you miss all the questions before. I didn't know that when you take the reading section, it's good to read the questions first so that when you read the passage, you're looking for the answers. But then I got an SAT prep class. Hallelujah. 
I got an instructor. I got a guide who started teaching me about the test. So then when I took the test again, I got a lot better score. But imagine if that instructor could sit next to me while I took the test. No, 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 no. What if that instructor, like I could have the mind of that instructor while I took the test. See, when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go through the test on your own. The Holy Spirit knows the test. Not only is he beside you, but he lives inside of you. And he's telling you, hey, hey, watch out for problem number three. Don't fill out question number six. You got to step over that. You got you to humble yourself here. You got to whisper that to your teenager. They need to hear that encouragement. You need to take another bite of patience, of self-control. You have the Holy Spirit who's written the test, who knows the test, who knows the answers to the test, living inside of you. The spirit of truth. He wants to walk alongside of you. And my question to you today is if you want more of the spirit of God flowing from your life, how do we do this practically? What does this look like? I'm going to give you three ways. And I want to give you three ways that I think kind of coincide with maybe three different journeys that some of you are on with Jesus. The first is those of you, man, you're the Sunday morning vets. You've been here. You could preach the rest of this message for me. And yet there's parts of your life that you just recognize, I need more of the Spirit of God flowing in my life. The Spirit of God wants to speak to you through your suffering. The Spirit of God wants to speak to you through your suffering. Here recently, I've been gripped by a story, the narrative of Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth, um, it's hard to imagine a person in American history who experienced more suffering than her. She was the youngest of 10 siblings or maybe 12 siblings. She didn't know how many siblings that she had because all of them were sold into slavery. Her husband, Robert, who was also a slave at a nearby uh, plantation, was taken from her when he tried to visit her. She never saw him again. She was beaten every day by one of her slave owners. And after her slave owner had uh, broken a promise to free her, she planned her escape with her infant daughter. And I want to read an excerpt from this book here as she's considering how to escape. It says, the question in her mind, and one not easily solved now, was, how can I get away? So as was her usual custom, she told God she was afraid to go in the night. And in the day, everybody would see her. At length, the thought came to her that she could leave just before the day dawned and get out of the neighborhood where she was known before the people were much astir. Yes, she said fervently, that's a good thought. Thank you, God, for that thought. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to listening to the Holy Spirit, we think that the clouds have to open, an angel has to speak, our coffee cup needs to spill in such a way, and there's a picture of the direction that we're supposed to move to. And yet I love Sojourner Truth, recognizing that when a thought came to her mind, it was a thought that clearly wasn't from her. It was the Spirit of God giving her a thought from heaven. See, the Holy Spirit speaks through thoughts, through impressions, through nudgings, through conversations, through a verse that you read in the Bible. And it's in those moments of suffering 
It's in those moments of suffering that the Holy Spirit often speaks his loudest. I know that sickness maybe wasn't a part of your plan for your life or this job that's taking up all of your energy or maybe the child who is far from God and doesn't seem like they're coming back. But God has not abandoned you. He's not ghosted you. And in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering, what if the Holy Spirit wanted to speak something to you? Pastor Jim Critcher, who I love, but who I hate to talk to, because I'll pour out my heart to him. I'll talk, talk about all my problems. I'm looking for some kind of sympathy. And you know what he'll ask me? Well, champ, what do you think the Holy Spirit is saying? I'm going to do my best Pastor Jim impression this afternoon and ask you in the midst of your trial, what is the Holy Spirit saying? I want to challenge you this week. Take a moment and instead of turning on Spotify, instead of on your commute, turning to your favorite radio show, just for a moment, ask God in silence, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to reveal in this situation about more of who you are or who I am in you? Secondly, I want to, for those of you who are here, um, who, you know, you're, you're enjoying Grace Covenant Church, you come here every once in a while, you love the preaching, you love the worship, you know, you have some other priorities on a Sunday morning, like us all, you know, I mean, you got kids in sports, you got Sunday morning's the only time to sleep in, you got a busy, you know, work life. I want to challenge you to make being here a priority. Because the Holy Spirit speaks at church. And he speaks more than just here. But this is a great place to start. James K.A. Smith, Canadian philosopher, theologian, points out in his book, You Are What You Love, that we're constantly being formed by liturgy, repeated religious practices. Now, you might be thinking, well, I come here once a month. I don't know if I'm being really formed. I'm not talking about church. There are cultural liturgies that you're being formed by. You go to the mall, and there's this high architecture, high ceilings, and you walk in, and you see these mannequins promising the good life, right? You go up to the cash register, I mean the priest, I mean the cash register, and you make your sacrifice, I mean you pay your money for this article of clothing, and you go to the church calendar, I mean the mall calendar of Black Friday, and Memorial Day, and Christmas. I'm not saying the mall is bad, but what I'm saying is that culturally, there's a liturgy happening there. Those marketers, they're appealing, not to your logic, not to your mind, but to your heart, to your emotions, right? Guys, we're not off the hook. Sunday, our 1 p.m. service, our 4 p.m. service, our 8.30 Sunday night service, our 9 p.m. Monday night football service, we know the stats. We know the numbers. We know, I love the Washington Commanders. I love watching a good football game. I'm not saying it's bad, but we are not in a neutral environment. Right. We're being formed by liturgies, by practice. We're being deformed. And yet when we come here on a Sunday morning, the Spirit of God is forming us. He's re-characterizing us. What do I mean by that? He's forming us into the character of Jesus, so he's charactering us in that way. 
But then the Spirit of God is helping us find our character in the story of Christ. There is a story. God's redemptive story is being retold every Sunday. And the Spirit of God, while you sing the songs, while you hear the preaching, the Spirit of God is helping you find your role, your character in the story of God. So that when you go out there, you don't miss your line. You know how to play your part. Something that you've experienced here is supposed to impact the way you live out there. It's an overflow. And then all of a sudden what happens is when you prioritize Sunday morning and you say, you know what, I'm going to let little Johnny um, do normal basketball rather than A. I'm sorry, I'm going a little too hard right now. But what I'm saying is when you start prioritizing the church, what happens here spills out there. And all of a sudden you start having church at your dinner table. Because the things that your kids are hearing at Grace Kids, they start talking about on Sunday morning. All of a sudden, there's revitalization in your marriage. And you go, what in the world happened? Well, the Spirit of God was recharacterizing you. He was recharacterizing. He was forming you. He was shaping you. <laughs> lastly, lastly, there's some of you here, if you're honest, you're a part of that world category that Jesus talked about. You haven't received the Spirit. You don't see Him. You don't know Him. You're looking at this Christian life, looking at how difficult it, it appears and go, do I really want this? And I would just ask you a question. Do you need help? Do you need help? Like with those thoughts that are running rampant in your mind, the times you've broken your own moral code, the times you've hurt others, lied to others, gossiped, slandered, the Bible calls that sin. Do you need help from that? Do you need deliverance from that? See, Jesus came to the earth to help you. He died on the cross to take those sins on his back. He ascended. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father, and then he promised another helper. This Christian life was not meant for you to live alone. When you surrender to Jesus, God comes and lives inside of you. He changes your heart. He changes your emotions. He changes your spiritual taste, so to speak, so that you can live a victorious life. Do you need help? The helper is here. And it starts by you surrendering. It starts by you returning back to God so you can allow the supernatural power of God to flow out of you. And that's available to you. Help is available to you. I love YouTube videos and inspiration and motivate and podcasts, and, but there's nothing like the Spirit of God that revives a person from death to life. And you can access that help right here on Sunday morning by decision to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. He doesn't as much need the invitation as we do we need the awareness that he's here. He wants to speak to us. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that you would open up our ears. Lord, we're all in different parts of our journey following you. Some of us are curious. Some of us have just started this journey. Others of us have been following for years. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit. Lord, I recognize in this room there are people facing serious health issues serious relationship dysfunctions, serious destructive mindsets. And right now, Holy Spirit, in the midst of that, you want to penetrate through those things and you want to speak words of truth. 
Lord, there's others of us here who we're torn by competing interests. We want to do what's right. We want to follow you. We want to obey our, your commandments. And yet we're distracted. God, we're, we're, we're distant from you because of competing idols. Lord, I'm asking that you in this moment would draw us to yourself, that we would prioritize worshiping with your people. If you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to access that help from the Holy Spirit, would you just raise your hand today, just boldly? I see that hand. You can put it down once it's up. Anyone else here? Just, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. See that hand. You are watching online, or if you raised your hand, just repeat after me. Say, Father, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. Today I choose to turn from my sin. Come, Holy Spirit, into my life. I believe, Jesus, you died and rose again. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, text New Life to 82155. We want to get to help you walk with Jesus. We actually have a class called Discover Discipleship that's going to help you lay some of those foundations and start that journey with Jesus. Church, it is an incredible privilege and joy to be with you. God bless you. Love you all.